I'm reminded of the words of the Hebrew writer in Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 7, where it says that the earth drinks in the rain that often comes upon it and bears herbs useful for those by whom it is cultivated and it receives a blessing from God. As we have prayed this morning, it is a blessing to live in a part of the country that receives rain. There are places around the country and around the world that would very much like to have the rain that we are experiencing today. And sometimes we are apt to complain about the weather. It's too hot or it's too cold or it's not enough rain or there's too much rain. We'll come back to the subject of complaining a little later in our study today. In fact, that's where we're going to end, Lord willing, in our study today. But we are glad that you are here, albeit a rainy day, a day that God has blessed us and God has provided for us and is continuing to show us his amazing love and has provided us with, might I say, at least 10,000, if not more, reasons to be thankful and to bless him and to appreciate the goodness that he has provided for us. I invite you to open your Bibles this morning to follow along with us and to consider the things that we are going to be studying together as we continue our series of studies in the work of the church here at Northfield Boulevard on our 2020 vision. So if you want to open to 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 8, we're going to read there in just a moment. But for those of you who are keeping track at home, and we're thankful for all of you who are here in the building, for those of you that may be in your homes, for those of you that are in the parking lot, for those that are live streaming this, or for those who are watching it maybe at a later date, that we have been engaged in a series of studies, and this is now the ninth in a series of 12 particular snapshots of 2020 vision of looking at January the church. February, we looked at our Father. March, we looked at our Savior, Jesus. And April, we looked at the Holy Spirit. Back in May, we understood marriage in the way that God intended. And then in June, we looked at the family in general. July, we looked at our sanctification. And last month, David did a very good job of talking about finances or talking about money, talking about the things that can be the focus of our lives, but as Ben prayed today, ought not always to be our focus. Today we're going to be talking about our occupations or our workplaces or our examples that we set as we think about working for the Lord. And you understand as good Bible students why it is that I chose that particular title because one of the things that we are going to talk about in our study together today is that when we work for our employer, when we work for a paycheck, when we try to be industrious in the way that we go about doing our jobs, we're doing it not just for the paycheck, we're doing it to please our God. I want to consider some numbers for just a moment. I was doing a study a few days ago on Zoom with some brethren from England, and I confess to them that I like numbers. In fact, I don't know if there are any fans of Sesame Street, uh, especially back in the 80s and 90s, back in the old school Sesame Street days, but one of my favorite characters was the Count. He would count one banana, two banana, three banana. I love to count. 
I like to count as well. So I like thinking about numbers. I like looking at the way that words are used in the Bible. And I talked about that briefly in Nehemiah chapter 3 in the invitation on Wednesday evening. But I did some very quick calculations, and my calculations aren't very good. Math was one of my three favorite subjects. I like math, and I like history. Uh, and so I enjoy numbers to a degree. But on average, a person will live for around 700,000 hours during a lifetime. So we have 700,000 hours in our lives to dedicate to either good causes or not so good causes. And of those 700,000 hours, once you take out the first 16, 17, 18, 19 years and maybe some years for retirement, if you're able to experience retirement, you end up spending between 90 and 100,000 hours working. And to put it another way or a way in which we look at it frequently today, and you think about your adult life, from the time that you're 18, 19, 20, 22, finishing school or learning a trade or whatever the case may be, that you spend about one-third of regular days working, if not more. And so we spend a significant amount of time trying to earn a living. And even if you are retired or even if you are a stay-at-home mom, you understand what work really is, right? The fact is, is we all have the opportunity to use the way that we work, the way that we conduct ourselves to set the right examples, as we'll talk about in a few moments, or to do the right things for the cause of our God and of our Savior. I want to look at a handful of reasons that we work or things that we observe while we are work and then close with three very practical things that I think can help us to put a 2020 vision on our occupations and on our employment. Let me suggest, number one, that let's get it out of the way that one of the reasons that we work biblically is to provide for ourselves, to provide for our families, so that we are not a burden on others. All of us enjoy being able to take care of ourselves. And sometimes we get to a place where we're not able to take care of ourselves anymore. And we need a little bit of assistance. And so that's why there are assisted living places. Or we need a little bit of extra care from our spouse or from our children. But the fact is, is work has always been a part of the original plan. Genesis 2 verse 15 is to me a fundamental verse in understanding why we work. Because Genesis chapter 2, as we have said before, and I've pointed out before, uh, comes before Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3 is where we see that work punishment or that punishment and work are combined together. But in Genesis chapter 2, we are told that Adam and Eve were told to tend and to keep the garden. So if you like writing things out to the margin uh, of, of your Bibles in Genesis 2 verse 15, just write the word work. Because work was part of the original design wherein God put man and woman in the garden and says, I want you to tend to keep it. I want you to work. I want you to be industrious. I want you to use your talents, use your time to do good for a cause that will enable you to provide for yourself and for your family. So sometimes people will inaccurately say that work is a punishment for sin. Now, hard work or maybe more hard work, or maybe less than fun work, may be an accurate 
description of Genesis chapter 3 when we are told that briars will grow and that thorns will have to uh, be a part of the equation and that mankind will have to work for his bread by the sweat of his brow. But I want to look at 1 Timothy chapter 5. And we could look at all of chapter 5 because there's a lot of principles in chapter 5 that help us to understand the nature of work. The context here is about 16 verses where the Apostle Paul is giving some practical instruction to Timothy about how to take care of the widows in the congregation, particularly those that do not have family, that do not have children, uh, and obviously no longer have a husband to help provide for them. But in verse 7, he says, These things command that they, that is the people that you are trying to work with, they may be blameless. But if anyone does not provide for his own and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Now, if you're reading from the King James Version today, it says worse than an infidel. Now, an infidel is a word that we don't use very often, but this is very strong language here. I found it interesting that the original word that was used in the Greek language is literally described as something that is incredible. That is, the Holy Spirit, by way of Paul, is telling Timothy to tell the Christians there, hey, if you are able to work, we're not talking about people who are physically unable to work or mentally unable to work or people who uh, just don't have any ability at all. We're talking about able-bodied individuals. He says, if you don't work, then God looks at that as being something that is incredible. He's like, that's just absolutely incredible in a not good way. That is unbelievable, God says, that you're not working. And so we work to provide for ourselves, he says there in verse 8, but especially for those of his own household. And I think that, you know, one of the things that whether you are a man who is working or a woman who is working, one of the things that we kind of pride ourselves on is being industrious, hard workers to provide for ourselves and to provide for others so that as we go back to the beginning of where we started that we are not a burden on others. But that's not where the story ends. That's, again, something that we just want to address very quickly because I think we all understand that. Let me suggest, secondly, that the reason that we work goes beyond just taking care of ourselves. That when we clock in, or when we punch in, or when we show up to work, or when we are doing the, the work that God has blessed us with the ability to do, we are working to help others who are in need. So I'm not just earning a paycheck so that I can take care of myself, my family, my spouse. I'm working with the attitude that I want to be able to help others who are in need. I want to use James chapter 1 as a launching passage because I believe James chapter 1 verses 26 and 27 are kind of what we could uh, call these overarching or overreaching uh, principles of New Testament Christianity. That if you understand James 1, 26 and 27, you really have a fundamental understanding of what New Testament Christianity is all about. In fact, he's arguing that there are those 
who have misunderstood what real religious service is about in verse 26 when he says, If anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless or worthless, some versions would say. And then in verse 27, pure and undefiled religion, well, that's what I want to be described as. I want to be pure and I want to be undefiled, is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. Might I suggest that where the word visit is used, that that's more than literally visiting? Now, it's important to visit orphans and widows. It's important to spend time with, literally with individuals who are downtrodden or who are sad or who are having difficult days. And I appreciate Brother Ben leading us in prayer today, acknowledging that we are living in a time that there are a lot of people who are lonely and a lot of people who are feeling blue and a lot of people who are feeling distressed. Because they don't have the daily interactions that we have. We are very blessed, those of us who have families or who have friends or who have the health to be able to be out on occasions like this. But there are some who do not have that ability, some who do not have that opportunity. And so we acknowledge that it is important that we do good for others, for those who are in need. I want to look over at Galatians chapter 6. This is a, a text that is probably rather familiar to many of you, but I want to read it as if we were reading it for the first time. He says, if anyone thinks himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. We're not interested in deceiving ourselves. We are interested at looking in the mirror and seeing accurately who we are, the way that we conduct ourselves. But let each one examine his own work, and then he will have rejoicing in himself alone and not on another, for each one shall bear his own load. It's kind of another passage that says you're responsible for yourself, that you can't just look for handouts from others in order to make it through life. But then he goes on and he kind of shifts gears while continuing that line of thought. He says, let him who has taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. Now that's true spiritually and that's true physically. That's true in that if I sow a good day's work or if I put my shoulder to my job, if I really try to do the best I can, I will reap accordingly. For he who sows to the flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the spirit will of the spirit reap everlasting life. And let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap we do not lose heart. And then verse 10, as we have opportunity, therefore, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. When it says do good to all, sometimes that means visiting. Sometimes that means cleaning. Sometimes that means investing your time. Sometimes that means spending your money. To do good for someone else, sometimes you've got to spend your money. We are Christians who work not just to provide for ourselves, put a roof over our heads and clothing and food and those things with which the Bible says we are to be content. But we are to help those who are in need. Might I suggest that this happens in general ways and that this happens in more specific, familiar ways. When I say general ways, I'm thinking of passages like Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 28 where he says, 
in the text, let him who stole steal no longer. So there were individuals in the first century who were rationalizing the idea of theft because that's how they provided for themselves. That's the only way they could do it. He says, if, if you are that kind of an individual, don't steal anymore, but now go to work so that you have something with which to live on. And what does he say? Let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. Did you notice that the text did not say, work hard so that you have something to provide for yourself and for your own? He says, work hard and don't steal anymore so that you have something to give to someone who is in need. No wonder why James 1 verses 26 and 27 can be called these overarching principles of Christianity. Back in the book of Isaiah, I came across this verse a, a couple of weeks ago as I was thinking about this particular study. And I was like, that's a really interesting passage. We, we've studied the book of Isaiah before, and it is a lengthy book. But in Isaiah chapter 58, in verse 7, the Bible says, Is it not to share your bread with the hungry that you bring to your house the poor who are cast out? And when you see the naked or those in need, that you cover him and not hide yourself from your own flesh. We are individuals who understand the phrase, you give the shirt off your own back. And we are a people who sometimes literally do so. You give clothing to those who are in need. One of the benefits of preaching, and there are many of it, is that David or I sometimes end up becoming the de facto people to whom people that want to be anonymous in their giving turn to in order to be the vehicles for their giving. Fancy way of saying people come to us and give us money and say give it to someone else. That way it's anonymous. There was a brother just six months ago who came to me. He says, do you know of anybody that's in need right now, especially at the beginning of coronavirus when jobs were lost and hours were cut? I said, as a matter of fact, I do know of a, of a number. And with a smile on his face, he took out his wallet and the man starts throwing me 50s. He says, here, take these. Give it to him. But don't tell them who it's from. I thought, I hope that I can one day, a little bit of an older man, uh, that I can have that ability one day. And I hope that I always have that spirit, whether I have the ability or not. And I told you about the man who probably 15 years ago wrote a check for $1,500, who wasn't necessarily that wealthy. And he says, split this between these three families. And I said, are you sure? He said, yeah, this is fun. <laughs> I said, well, I'm glad you're having fun. You just keep on writing. <laughs> and it was fun for me because I got to deposit the money and then write $500 checks to three separate families. And I made sure I said, it's not from me. It's not, don't give me credit. But being the messenger, that's fun. I enjoyed that. Because we work to help those who are in need. This action takes place in general ways. And might I suggest in a passage in 2 Corinthians that you are familiar with in verses uh, 6 and 7 of the ninth chapter, that this happens in very specific church ways. We'll talk about this a little bit more uh, in, in just uh, uh, our application section. 
But he says, he who sows sparingly will reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will reap bountifully. Let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And so, yes, when we give of our means on the Lord's Day, as we'll do at the conclusion of this service today, as we do each Lord's Day, we are to do so knowing that it may very well help those who are in need. Yes, it's going to be for evangelism. Yes, it's going to be for the work of the physical aspects of this church. But we know that our elders are overseeing those funds. We pray that they will have wisdom in doing so and that there are those who are in need who benefit from the money that we donate. So we work to help those who are in need. Let me suggest thirdly that we work and that we use our occupations to set good examples. Given the fact that we spend so much of our waking hours at work, that's where we have an incredible opportunity to set the right example for others. And we are dedicated to workplaces. We should be ever aware of the examples that we set. And there are so many things that we could say about that, but let me just spend the next three to five minutes talking about our language. Because it seems to me that the workplace is an environment where you are working shoulder to shoulder with someone else on the factory line or where you are in a cubicle next to someone else and they can hear what you're saying or, or, or vice versa, that our language has to be appropriate. Let me share with you four passages in the order in which they happen in the Bible and just make some quick observations about them. I want to start in the book of Psalms, in Psalm 141 and the third verse. Psalm 141, verse 3. We're going to look at three passages, four passages here very quickly. Psalm 141, verse 2. Let my prayer be set before you as incense, the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. And then verse 3, set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. What is the psalmist David saying there? He's saying simply, help me to speak correctly. To not say something that I shouldn't say. To not use vulgar language. To not tear down others. To not participate in the communication of my co-workers. And I admire those of you that work in an environment where you are saturated with people who are just using the Lord's name in vain and cussing and swearing and left and right. And the fact that you have to be in that environment because you've got to make a living because you want to provide for yourself and you want to help those who are in need and you want to set a good example, I commend you for staying the straight road and doing the right thing, even in spite of all the difficulties that come as a result of that environment. Proverbs 16, verse 24. There are a bunch of Proverbs that talk about how we speak, how we guard our mouths. But Proverbs 16, verse 24 says, Pleasant words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the bones. Pleasant words are like a honeycomb. That's a good thing. So when you use your words pleasantly, it makes for a better work environment, especially when filled with an environment where people are just saying everything that is going to tear others down. Two New Testament passages, one in Matthew and then one in Ephesians, one of my favorite passages. We'll get to that here in just 60 seconds. But in Matthew chapter 15 and verse 11, Jesus says 
in talking about where defilement comes from, he says, not what goes into the mouth defiles a man, but what comes out of the mouth, that defiles a man. We get to determine whether we are defiled or not based on what words we use or sometimes the tone that we use. But the words that we use are powerful. I've said before that I believe that the adage that was used years ago that sticks and stones may break my bones but words will never hurt is the most untrue statement ever uttered because words hurt and words heal. We get to determine what we do with our words. No one gets to control that for you. That's what's amazing about being a human being is you get to determine what you say and how you say it. And let me suggest Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29 to be a memory verse for you, even though I'm going to actually read it. But he says, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth but what is good for necessary edification that it may impart grace to the hearers. What did mom say? If you don't have something nice to say, don't say anything at all. Now, some people in your workplace, if they abide by that, are going to be pretty quiet. <laughs> but that's okay. You be the example and say good things. Wholesome things, things that will set an example. There's so many other aspects of our examples in the workplace, but our language is paramount. And let me suggest to you finally that we work to please God and not men. And this brings us full circle to where we started. Now, that being said, uh, there are people in the world who would look at this particular concept and say, that's the silliest thing I've ever heard of because I want to please men. I understand the concept that we want to please our bosses, that we want to please those who oversee us. We do so because we don't want them to come down on us. We don't want our employers to say, well, we're going to go with someone else because you're not as productive as the next guy, especially when there are cuts looming in your workplace. And you like it when you get a promotion. You like it when you get a, they're at a boy. You like it when you get a raise. You like it when you get a bonus. We enjoy those things. But the Bible tells us that the point to be made is one which we accurately understand. Let me share with you three passages here very quickly. One is in Colossians chapter 3. And you knew we were going to end up in Colossians 3 at some point, didn't you? You knew that at some point he's going to go to Colossians 3. And you also know that there's a passage in Ephesians that I haven't talked about yet. It's coming, so just hold on for just a moment or two. But in Colossians 3, verse 22, he says, Bondservants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. And whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men. So when you go to your job place, when you are doing your job, when you are doing your work, you are saying, my boss may be Bob or it may be Susie, but my ultimate supervisor is the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm going to serve him in the way that I conduct myself with integrity in the way that I conduct myself with language, 
in the way that I treat my coworkers, in the way that I treat clients, even in the way that I treat my boss, as we'll talk about here in just a moment. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 18, Peter talks about this, and he says in 1 Peter 2, verse 18, Servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh. Now, I admit that when your supervisor, so to speak, is a Christian, it makes life a little bit easier. Paul talks about that to the church of Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 6, where we'll read in just a moment. But the point that is being made by Peter here is even when you have a mean boss, an unfair boss, a harsh boss, a, a, a harsh taskmaster, you are still required, not suggested, but you are required to be submissive to that boss. Someone would say, well, that's hard. I would say you're right. It is hard. It is difficult. Generally speaking, I would think most bosses and supervisors are somewhat understanding, and they're human beings as well, and they probably have someone to answer to themselves. But you're going to come across someone who is a harsh taskmaster at some point in your life, and that person will be mean, and that person will be rude, and that person will be unfair, and you still say, yes, sir, or yes, ma'am. I'll do what you want me to do because that's what the Bible commands me to do because I'm working to please my God and not necessarily men. Paul writes about this at length in Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 5 is where he talks about the relationship that we have in a family. Chapter 6, he continues that in the first three or four verses. And then in verse 5, notice what he says as we read to verse 9. He says, bond servants be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling and sincerity of heart as to Christ. And then here's where he says, not with eye servants as men pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart. So those are your polar opposites. You are either a bond servant of Christ or you are a man pleaser. So we have to choose which one we're going to be. Verse 7, with goodwill, I'm sorry, uh, yeah, verse 7, with goodwill doing service as to the Lord and not towards men, knowing that whatever good anyone does, he'll receive the same from the Lord, whether he is the slave or free, and you. Now, we haven't talked about this much, but there are, uh, in fact, a number of our members who are the boss, the supervisor, the one who oversees someone else. He says, you, masters, do the same. Giving up threatening, knowing that your own master also is in heaven and there is no partiality with him. So we can't get to a place in our lives, in our occupations, where after 20, 30 years, we're like, I'm now the boss. So I can treat people the way I want to be treated. Or I'll treat people the way that I was treated when I was coming up the ranks. Not so. He says, I want you to be gentle and I want you to give up the threatening. Because that's not what Christianity is all about. So we need to acknowledge that even when we are serving non-Christians, and the majority of you who are in the workplace, your boss is a non-Christian, is not a saint. We are to be submissive and use the opportunity to set good examples. Well, where does that bring us? It brings us to where we started, where we are going to end. And that is when we go to work, Tomorrow, 
Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and every day for the rest of our lives, there are three practices that I want you to consider. Number one, based on what we've talked about today, and I understand it's always a little bit difficult for a preacher to talk about these particular things, but this one's going to, and I know that David has as well and would. But when your income changes for the better, don't just automatically say, honey, we've got more money, so now we're going to take six trips to the Caribbean this year. Nothing wrong with taking a trip to the Caribbean. Never been, but one day maybe. Uh, nothing wrong with saying, now we can finally get the boat we've been dreaming about. Now we can finally get a bigger house. Now we can finally pay off this debt. Those are, those are great things. Don't, don't misunderstand me. There's something to be said for being responsible with our money and enjoying the fruits of our labor. But at some point when we get that raise, when we get a little extra money, we ought to consider using some of that money for someone else. Consider, if you would, the spirit of the early saints. We won't reread those five verses, but he speaks about the grace or the attitude of those early Christians. And he says they first gave of themselves, that they were first willing to give of themselves and their own poverty. And, of course, you're reminded of the widow with the two mites or the widow with the mite. And she was an individual who gave all. And Jesus, in fact, even said she's given more than all the others. Because of her attitude. So when your income increases, when you get that bonus, think of it as an opportunity. And if you don't know who it is that needs some help, go to the local shepherds and say, you know what? I've come across an extra little money here. And I want to help someone. Do you know someone? I can almost guarantee you they're going to say, yeah, I know someone. And they'll direct you to the, per to the appropriate person or, or persons that need that help. Secondly... Work hard, always, even when no one is watching. Ecclesiastes chapter 9, which we have not read, and you may even say, why is he not going to Ecclesiastes? Well, I, in order to not frustrate you and leave you hanging, in Ecclesiastes 9 and verse 10, whatever your hands find to do, do it with your might, for there is no work or device or knowledge or wisdom in the grave where you are going. Whatever your hands find to do, do it with your might. Do it when the boss is working, or watching and working, but do it when the boss is not watching as well. And, and aside, if you have a computer that you clock in, or a, I don't know if anybody uses the old clock things anymore. Last time I used a clock in, it was a computer. Had my own idea and I would hit a button and clock in when I was doing retail years ago. And there's a way to kind of finagle the system, isn't there? And clock in a little bit too early, clock out a little bit too late. You may say, that's only going to cost the company an extra 50 cents this week. We are honest and men and women of integrity when we clock in and clock out. When we say what is right and what is wrong, we mean it. And we do what's right even when the boss isn't over our shoulder. And thirdly, and I think most importantly, so I've saved it for last, and it goes back to where we began on the subject of complaining, is we've got to keep our attitude in check while working. I understand that sometimes work is not pleasant. 
I understand that sometimes you can get tired, especially if you haven't had a vacation in a long time, or you're working bunches of overtime, or you've been without your family for an extra couple of days. Philippians 2 verse 14 says, do all things. doesn't say do some things, nor does it say do most things. It says do all things without complaining and disputing, that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. When your co-worker is complaining about the job, that's a perfect opportunity for you, number one, not to join in concert with him, and number two, maybe to say, you know what, I'm glad to have my job. I appreciate the opportunity to be able to provide for myself and to provide for others. And Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 23, when he's talking about a servant of God, which is what we would all want to be, he says, avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that they generate strife. Are there ever foolish or ignorant disputes in your workplace? Chances are yes. <laughs> and those are things that you don't participate in. But a servant of the Lord must not quarrel or be quarrelsome, but be gentle to all, able to teach, and in patient, and being patient in the way that he conducts himself. Keep your attitude in check when you're at work this week. You may say, that's hard as well. That's difficult. Yes, it is, sometimes. But if we set the right example, we are doing what we've talked about all morning long, and that is working for the Lord because he is our ultimate supervisor. If we can help you to be a better employee, no, we can't help you with your particular skill set, maybe. Uh, but we can help you as brothers and sisters in Christ to be less complaining, to be more thankful, to use your language and your words more appropriately. We can help you in all of that because we have God's word which provides us every piece of evidence as to how we can be better in service to our God. And we welcome that opportunity to help you this morning. So if you are a Christian... And you say, you know what? I've not been the kind of employee. I've been cheating my employer. I've been being mean to my coworkers. I've not been setting the right example to others. And now is an opportunity for you to make the change. We encourage you to do so. If you'd like for us to pray with you, we'll do that. If, however, you are not a child of God, you may be the best employee that there is. But if you are not a child of God, it's not going to make a difference when this world comes to an end. And that's what we are most concerned about, is it not? That when we stand before God on the day of judgment, we will hear either, well done, good and faithful servant, or depart from me. And we get to determine, based on the grace of God and our obedience to Him, what it is that we'll hear. And so if we can help you in any way, we want to do so. Let us know what we stand and sing.